The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. In today's episode, Trident Room host Marcus Antonellis sits down and has a conversation with NPS student Ben Cohen. All right, hey, good afternoon, Trident Room Podcast listeners. Lieutenant Antonellis back again, this time today with Captain Ben Cohen, who's an NPS student here, getting his degree in defense system analysis and a degree in applied design for innovation. He's a Marine Corps logistics officer, and we're really happy to have him here today. We're going to talk about some great topics, uh, the environment, sustainable farming, uh, policy, uh, global warming, all sorts of fun stuff. So I'm going to turn it over to him uh, for some uh, introductory comments and uh We'll go from there. Hey, thanks, Marcus. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, excited to, to give a chat. You know, I know we connected uh, after the uh, the virtual senior guest lecture series with uh, uh, Mr. Brian, and uh, it's been a, it's a good conversation so far. I'm looking forward to continuing that. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. Again, super, super happy to have you. It was really awesome that we were able to connect. Kind of the stars sort of aligned there. It's funny, you actually, I submitted one of the... Uh, the, the guest questions as a member of the audience and you were a panel member and I was lucky enough to have you uh, you ask it uh, for me. I think uh, my friend uh, Dylan Bonnet sort of hooked, hooked it up there. He, uh, I think he might have shot you a message and asked you to ask that question or something. Dylan, uh, Dylan's good people. Yeah. Great yeah. time with him. It's good. Yeah. Dylan's a good guy. But anyway, so uh, before I hit the record button, we were talking about uh, your time um, uh, as an undergrad uh, at the Citadel uh, and you, you, you were able to achieve some pretty cool cool in my mind, uh, achievements there uh, with some sustainable farming and uh, these sort of vertical farming uh, systems. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so for years, uh, you know, growing up in the Pacific Northwest, just being outdoors uh, and having some sort of relationship with the environment around you was always really important. Uh, And so did some enlisted time in the Marine Corps, got selected for a commissioning program, went down to Charleston uh, to, to the Citadel, not as a cadet, but as an active duty Marine, uh, which is a very interesting opportunity in itself. Uh, but Marines, uh, Marine MESEPs down there are afforded some tremendous freedom of movement. We're, we're trusted. Uh, we do a lot for the school. We support uh, the school. And so I had an opportunity to explore an idea that had been of interest to me for a while, and that was sustainable farming. Uh, in particular, Um, vertical farming options, which is uh, all under the umbrella of controlled environment agriculture. So we're talking about hydroponics, we're talking about aeroponics, aquaponics, a lot of fancy terms uh, for farming. Uh, And so I started pitching the idea to folks just kind of asking, hey, I'm interested in doing this. Can I do this? Is it a degree thing? How would I poke around? And I was getting a a business degree there uh, with a focus in supply chain management, uh, but was kind of left to my own devices. And so as I asked more and more people about, hey, I've had this interest in sustainable farming, I kind of like to poke around with it, more folks at the Citadel, more staff members and faculty kept saying, hey, talk to this person, talk to this person, talk to this person. Eventually got connected to the STEM director and uh, we had a pretty good mind meld and said, hey, this is a really cool thing, we want to do this. And so what we tried to develop was an interdisciplinary project uh, that brought a controlled environment agriculture farm in a box to the Citadel uh, that was cadet run, uh, managed, and executed, all with the intent of feeding uh, the the entire uh, undergraduate body at the Citadel. Uh, and so we 
we got really lucky because there was a company in Charleston, uh, Tiger Corner Farms, that had just started some work in building these, uh, these, these container farms, essentially, so a standard ISO 8-foot by 40-foot container, and they were putting the equivalent of a 3-acre farm inside these ISO containers. They, uh, they donated two to us uh, after we kind of laid out the plan for them. We found some cadets that were interested, and when I left the school in August 2016, those, uh, those containers were providing uh, the majority of the leafy greens for the school. That's amazing. That's and that's such a such a cool accomplishment. You don't hear a lot of stories like that. How uh, a MISEP going through their commissioning program brought a uh, brought a sustainable farm uh, to a college campus. So, that, so, that, so that's very very impressive. Uh, and 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 I, you're showing me some of the technologies. These are these are very cool, very high tech uh, technologies. And uh, we were talking a little bit. This is similar to what they have going on uh, on the space station, uh, where they're testing sort of these. Um, these nutrient envelopes uh, to grow these plants in, uh, for, I guess, foreign environments or foreign relative to the current state of uh, general farming. Yeah, and so it's an interesting connection you make with you know the International Space Station, what was happening. So one of the selling points I actually used at the Citadel uh, as I continued briefing higher and higher up the chain, eventually reaching the president of the Citadel uh, and the, the board of directors, the board of trustees, was, hey, one, you can be the first military college in the U.S. to start growing your own food. That's a bragging point the next time you run to the superintendents of the other institutions. But also, this is technology that's going to pave the way for us to move forward. And I used the existing commercial market in Charleston and then talking about the future of, hey, when we potentially start to colonize Mars, this is where we're going to end up. Uh, you know, this is the technology that's going to take us there. Uh, and it doesn't take much to convince people when they, once they understand how simple that sustainable farming uh, technology actually is. It looks advanced, but in truth, it's been around since uh, Babylon, almost uh, 7,000 years ago. Wow, that's incredible. And then so, I guess, continuing down the line of extreme environments, talking about the ISS and Mars, you also said there was a pretty interesting application here uh, in the Arctic, um, and that ties into some of your thesis work as well. So do you want to peel back some of the layers of that onion for us? Yeah, so the Arctic is obviously an unforgiving environment. You know, it's very difficult to do a lot up there. Uh, and if we use uh, Alaska as the, you know, the, the U.S. connection to the Arctic, obviously, um, aside from the, the tremendous uh, drilling operations that, that go on in the northern slope up there near Barrow and Prudhoe Bay, uh, growing anything in Alaska is very difficult. Uh, and so one of the really interesting applications is that these uh, self-contained uh, farms can be transported to anywhere in the world, and Alaska is an excellent example, and they can be insulated appropriately and emplaced and can use alternative energy sources if not plugged into a, a ground-based power source uh, and be producing all year round. So you're able to bring a fresh and ready food supply uh, to an area that is otherwise very difficult to get to. Uh, and even in lower parts of Alaska, you know, small towns like Sitka and Juneau, Ketchikan, to get fresh leafy greens requires a barge trip of three or four days coming up from Seattle, and so the product they receive is not great. Uh, and even though we're talking about you know, lettuce, uh, you know, types of leafy greens, uh, varieties of lettuce or herbs, that's still pretty important to people. And so there's a morale factor that comes in uh, with that. But you can implant these systems anywhere. You can grow all year round and control your food supply, which has significant ripple effects on the supply chain required to move that around. Uh, and because you can do it all year round, you can manage your own food supply in a way that wasn't achievable before. Yeah, well, that, that's incredible. And I think 
uh, definitely as the the Arctic becomes more and more of a contested area of the globe with with uh, China and Russia as the ice caps and the the continue to melt and sea lanes open up more and more uh, as they uh, turn their eyes to that part of the globe. Um, I definitely think that that's going to be uh, more and more of a, a technology that we need to get behind uh, so we can support our people up there and get ahead of the, our adversaries in regards to that technology as well. Yeah, I think that's very true. And, I, you know, um, certainly not going to say that farming is the technology that will, that will change the world in that aspect, but it's right. one of the drivers that supports our capability to function up there. Uh, you know, energy in the Arctic is a real problem. It's a problem that, that NPS has a great opportunity to engage with and other organizations to say, hey, we can find better solutions for this without burning as many fossil fuels as we currently do. Uh, you know, as China and Russia, Russia's always been focused on the Arctic for obvious reasons. They own 50% of the coastline up there. China has declared itself a near-Arctic uh, player. And the, the justification for that is that as the, the ice melts and the Arctic sea routes open, China's polar silk road affords them much faster access to 75% of the world. So while the, the, the really interesting tie-in to a lot of this is that the global climate is heavily affected by our soil. And so that's actually where containerized farming or controlled environment agriculture becomes an interesting part of that conversation. Because believe it or not, how we farm in Kansas has an impact on the Arctic. And uh, it's, not to, uh, it's not to get too deep in the weeds about it, but containerized farming allows our soil an opportunity to take a break, uh, which improves our carbon capture capabilities because that's essentially what our soil is designed to do if it's healthy and functioning properly. Right, similar to all the algae in the ocean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Turning CO two into oxygen, <laughs> which is we're going to need. We need. Yeah, we're <laughs> we always going to need that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so then uh, we sort of talked a little bit about these delivery methods uh, that you're sort of working on now uh, here at MPS. Uh, th- those are pretty cool. Why don't you tell us about those? Uh, right. So it, it's it's been fun uh, for the past few months to try and convince people that. Uh, bringing a, a technology that is older than fixed-wing flight back to the forefront is going to be worth uh, our investment and our energy. So I'm, I'm looking into hybrid airships, uh, which are very, very, very large blimps. Uh, hybrid airships have a combined um, buoyant gas and aerodynamic design with thrust vectoring propulsion. So this combination affords like tremendous payload capacities. Um, this is a technology that we pursued uh, Primarily between 2007 and 2012, the DOD put a lot of money into this. Uh, unfortunately, sequestration uh, hit those programs early on, so we kind of lost out on that. But it's something that both Russia and China are very interested in. And the reason is because these these aircraft have, uh, will have, I should say, tremendous payload capacities. Uh, so in excess of 100 tons, for instance. So for reference, a C-17 can carry just over 80 tons. Uh, so 100 tons is already more than a C-17 can carry, but these aircraft will be able to carry potentially more than 500 tons. Uh, it'll take a little time for the market to get to that point, but they are able to access austere and remote locations. So China, in particular, is very interested in this because the access to precious materials necessary for electric, electric vehicle components, for instance, uh, is not easy to gain access to without investing significant amounts of money in the infrastructure. So these aircraft let us bypass the ports and the airfields and the infrastructure requirements to get to those precious materials 
you can bring in all the equipment necessary to get at it and you can bring the product out with the same airships. So it changes the, the, the economic game quite a bit. And as the Arctic melts, uh, we get more and more access to those resources. You don't have to put as much effort gaining access. There's plenty of oil up there and everybody knows that, but there's an estimated trillion dollars of uh, rare earth materials that are found within the Arctic Circle itself. Uh, Russia doesn't care. They'll just chomp through anything they feel the urge to get to. And they actually view global warming as a, a win for them. They're excited that things are melting because they can do more uh, with their sea lanes and their shipping. So the, the kind of connection to all of this is that the impacts on the Arctic, which are, you know, the Arctic is warming two times faster than the rest of the globe is, uh, are going to be felt on a both a political scale and an economic scale uh, very, very quickly. And how we respond to that is important, but the, the actions that we take outside of the Arctic actually have interesting implications on what happens in the Arctic. Uh, so it's an evolving game and it, it's an evolving game in an area where I think we can we can poke around a bit uh, and learn quite a bit along the way. Uh, the trick will be, I think probably having a and I'm saying this as a very lowly member of the of the policymaking chain, uh, you know how do we uh, convince the the global stage that we're not doing this, you know, we're not encouraging uh, a, a reduction in use of fossil fuels and we're not encouraging the Arctic to be left alone. Uh, to dissuade our foes from getting it before we do. Um, that, I think, is going to be you know, an interesting piece of this conversation. Uh, how do we avoid conflict? Yeah, that's a good point you bring up, and I, I think a lot of people oftentimes overlook the environment as an aspect of policymaking. And I think, especially now, given the, 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 the tipping point we are approaching when it comes to climate change, um, I think now more than ever, uh, we need to look at the environment, not just as a, hey, we need to do this just because it's a nice thing to do, but we need to do this because, hey, this affects uh, implications on every single f uh, po political front. Because if they, uh, if China and Russia can have free reign over that area uh, and just extract whatever they want from there, that's going to affect every aspect of our life here at home. It's going to affect Europe. It's going to affect Africa. It's going to affect Far East. It's going to affect everywhere. And I, I think the conversation we're having here needs to be had or at dinner tables or throughout the country um, just so people can, hey, this isn't just, oh, I'm buying this at the grocery store. It's, hey, where's this actually coming from? What is the implication of this? And wait a minute, down the road, how's this really going to affect uh, the 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 long-term impact on our planet. Yeah, and I think that's a you know, Marcus, that's a really interesting question to kind of go down because that's a that's a very large concept and topic for a lot of folks to talk about. You know, even in the military, I'm not in Southern California having conversations about what goes on in the Arctic on a routine basis, nor am I having routine you know conversations with folks about where did my food come from and why should I care about where it came from. Um, but it's an it's an interesting interconnected piece, and I think. You know, kind of what, as you were talking, I'm thinking, you know, a phrase that I hear a lot, which is think globally, act locally. Uh, and so m my focus has turned to without, um, you know, going completely off the deep end is, hey, what, what are my actions doing and how can I be aware of it? And how does it fit into a slightly larger uh, sphere than just myself? Uh, and, you know, sustainable farming is a good first approach to that conversation because the Again, the positive implications on the food, the soil, and the supply chain, I think, can be seen and measured and uh, quantified pretty quickly. 
but also because it starts a really interesting conversation about sustainability in general. I wasn't ever actually all that interested in the larger sustainability conversation, aside from we need to protect the earth in a very general sense, uh, until I got into controlled environment agriculture. And it led me down some other interesting paths about the impacts and implications that we have. Uh, and as you know, DOD policy is now pushing us towards being aware of our impact on the climate and having to adopt some practices down the road, some innovations that will require us to be more aware of it, we're going to have to find new ways to maneuver around that. And that's a really intimidating thought. Uh, and I started, when I started thinking about containerized farming, it was a really, you know, it, was, it, was, it was almost overwhelming to think there's no way I'm going to convince the entire U.S. military that this is a good idea. But it can be done here locally. You know, the school can adopt containerized farming and make that small of an impact and encourage the community to do the same thing. And we can potentially take this technology and put it on our uh, expeditionary vehicle or our expeditionary ships, I should say, uh, or deploy these systems with units when we send them overseas because that reduces our re reliance on supply chains around the world. Um, and it reduces our footprint in small and simple ways. Uh, and so I've been interested in the route that it's taken me uh, and use it as a stepping stone to understand sustainability as a larger and more prominent conversation, which ultimately led me to the Arctic. Uh, so that's kind of the, the whole connecting file on this thing about the, you know, the, wandering all over the place in this. But it's been a really interesting journey, and it started with a local conversation that has resulted in a global, uh, a global awareness and then how I can act locally within that global awareness. Yeah, that's amazing. And you bring up a good point, too, because what I found, too, is when you try to talk to people about, hey, we need to do this, hey, we need to do that, if you come at them in a way where it's you're dealing in absolutes, like it's, it's a yes or no, a lot of times people will not, they don't like that. But I think what what you've what you've done now in the what you've actually done now in the past and what you're doing is a much more approachable way to affect these sort of sorts of change because you're you're developing these technologies you're looking at it through a different lens and you're bringing this new perspective to the table that a lot of people while not entirely comfortable with it are more open to it than the people that go up to them hey you need to stop eating meat hey you need to buy a hybrid. Hey, you need to do this. The guy grabbing you outside the grocery store. Exactly. Sign yeah. this petition. Yeah, and, sign yeah, my yeah, petition. Absolutely. Yeah, because people, especially in this country, are, are very taken taken aback by that because they see it as an encroachment on their freedoms. Yep. But I think as, like I said, as we sort of march down this path to this this climate uh, climax, I guess, for lack of a better, better term, um, I think more and more people are definitely going to start finding themselves asking some of the same questions that you did back at when you're back at the Citadel and even now here as we as we sit down and talk about these things. Yeah, I agree. And I, I consider myself extremely fortunate to be here uh, because I am surrounded by people who encourage exploration and conversation. There, there's no idea that's too ridiculous. In fact, um, you know, it's part of the Applied Design for Innovation program, which is very new and, you know, absolutely outstanding program. And Commander Davis and Dr. Blanken have done a great job of, of, of putting that together. Uh, when I first walked in the room and said, hey, Commander Davis, I'm really interested in bringing huge blimps back into the U.S. military, he thought about it very seriously for a moment. And then once he got done giggling about the idea of us going to war and huge blimps, which was not the intent, uh, he took it very seriously. And he encouraged that conversation. And the same thing had happened with sustainable farming early on when I proposed that to uh, my academic advisor in defense systems analysis to Chad Segrin. And he said, this is really cool. This is very interesting. Like, I'd like to see what you can do with this. I ended up having to shift my, my thesis focus, obviously. But you're surrounded here by people who encourage intelligent 
conversation and they encourage some some I would say not ground in some cases groundbreaking but just hey this is a different perspective and nobody's telling you this sucks they're encouraging you to run it to ground and be ready to talk about it and if they will if you can be given a chance to put it in front of the right people, you know, that's what NPS's culture is trying to drive towards and has been very supportive of me uh, and I know many other students in doing that. Um, so it's, it's really fun and exciting to see how other students are driving this culture and how faculty and staff are supporting and driving that culture as well and how we are all moving towards being uh, more sustainably focused and positive impacts without labeling ourselves as... Uh, well, hippies or, you know, tree huggers or some other term that generally is not used in the military. Right. Uh, but I, I just think it's a wonderful environment to explore those opportunities. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, on the flip side of the coin, where we're very fortunate to be in this fostering environment of all these new ideas, I think part of what we need to concern ourselves with is how we convey this to those outside of the, the postgraduate school uh, environment. Um, when we take these ideas and we bring them to let's say the Pentagon or some ENCODE or whoever, um, I think we really need to be conscious about, hey, how are we going to wrap this and highlight the benefits, not just to figuring it out for the sake of figuring it out, but the benefits of, hey, well, with your sustainable, with your vertical and sustainable farming uh, initiatives, let's put it on a warship. Let's, let's compress this farm, this three-acre farm, even further, and let's see if we can fit this onto a destroyer. Let's see if we can fit it onto an amphib. So when we're out in the middle of over the horizon alone and unafraid, we can have that fresh fruits and vegetables. We can have, like you talked about, these microgreens, which are incredibly nutritious. And, and I mean, nutrition is the backbone of being able to get up at 2 a.m. and stand the watch or, or, yeah. or perform anything. And yeah. Nutrition is the bedrock of being able to think straight, being able to operate at a high level. Um, so I think I think those aspects of it um, really really will carry carry this idea into the future at least for the military. And then outside of the military, I mean, we need to think about how are we going to present this to whoever that you run into at the post office or the grocery store, just just regular people out and about on their daily on their uh, daily stroll or errands or whatnot. How how are we going to sell the ideas we come up with here to them? Because, yeah, we have the DOD that we're, we, we have our ideas for, but if we can go even further and change the populace at large, how they do things, I think that's something really special. Yeah, th that's a really interesting conversation you bring up, and I know that there are a lot of folks here at NPS who are working very hard to understand and drive a brand for the school that encourages us to be the place to come to solve problems. Uh, and I, I don't think many people think NPS, container farming, awesome. That's not, you know, it's not the connection they make. But one of the opportunities that I found, again, in, in an environment of, yes, keep going, uh, was forming uh, partnerships with industry or forming partnerships with academia. Uh, and so in the Arctic studies, there are a lot of academic groups out there doing this work already. And there's a lot of government-led organizations and there's a lot of partner 
nations that are already doing research in the Arctic. And they're very open armed to learning. Uh, they have very open arms to connecting with us and talking about this and continuing to put our resources and our capabilities and our thought leaders behind this. And the same thing can happen with a lot of these smaller sustainable solutions, and the ripple effects can happen much faster. Uh, in the case of sustainable farming, it would be easy to form, uh, whether it's a CRADA, a Creative Research and Development Agreement, or a vendor demonstration agreement with some of these companies to say, hey, the military is interested in this. Maybe bring it to campus, show us what we can do with it, uh, and then figure out where it can kind of snowball from there. And again, I come back to that think globally, act locally. What are the little ripple effects that we can create here that make a big difference? And maybe someday we could put them on our surface fleet. Maybe someday they can go on the amphibs. Maybe someday they can go on submarines and we're able to provide that farming. If we can do it on the International Space Station, we can probably do it on submarines if we, you know, put the right people behind the, the, uh, the, the opportunity. And so as we talk about making this more visible and being able to tell people, you know, what good things NPS can do aside from obvious warfighting functions, uh, I see a lot of opportunity in being able to do that with private industry and academia, and NPS allows that collaboration to occur. Uh, and it, that doesn't happen anywhere, everywhere else in the military, uh, but the, the opportunity to form those partnerships and relationships now and carry them with you down the line, I think, is you know, a tremendous opportunity here. Uh, and I'm grateful to the school for continuing to support it. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I mean, I'm, I know I'm looking forward to, to seeing to seeing what you, you come up with because you've done some pretty cool stuff uh, so far, um, and I'm looking forward to see where you go. So I just want to uh, thank you for coming on the show. No, thanks for, uh, thanks for letting me come on and uh, kind of ramble for a little bit and kind of bounce around from yeah, topic yeah, to topic. Sure. But, uh, you know, it's great to connect with other folks who are interested in sustainability and its application to the military. Uh, and, you know, just being able to just kind of work through these things as a team. Uh, you know, not having to do it alone and unafraid. For sure. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And I'm, I definitely learned a few things today, which is always good. Thanks, so Mark. I appreciate that. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us in the Trident Room. This episode was recorded April 30th, 2021. For more information about today's guests and topics, please visit the show notes. The Trident Room has been brought to you by the Naval Postgraduate School Alumni Association and Foundation. For questions, comments, and suggestions, please email us at tridentroompodcasthost at nps.edu and find us online at nps.edu slash tridentroompodcast.